It's Easter. I really like Easter, partly because it's four days in a row that I actually take off usually. Um, but it often means that it's a time where I stop and I pause and I think. And generally, there's this potentially negative, but uh, this pervading thought. Um, and the, the question that often runs through my brain when I take downtime is, do you think we've got it all wrong? Do you ever wonder if we've got it all wrong? Do you ever think, hmm, maybe life's a bit back to front? Or is it just me? I don't know. I wonder about our priorities. I wonder about uh, our systems. I wonder about the nature of our economy having to consume in order to uh, keep everything afloat. Uh, I wonder about the pace and the busyness of our lives. And it's often, as I said, when life quietens for a moment that I ponder this question. And I often can't shake the sense that our lives are a bit topsy-turvy. And so this Easter, I've kind of gone through a similar thought process. Easter is very much uh, the centerpiece and really the triumph of the Christian tradition. But I wonder if, in some respects, we've lost sight of its purpose and we've lost sight of its meaning. I don't know if you saw on the news yesterday, um, and it was pretty shocking, but I had to laugh and, and I showed Lorraine. I don't know if you saw, did you see the stampede on the school oval yep. at the Gold Coast? Um, there was about 30,000 Easter eggs, or they'd planned to drop 30,000 Easter eggs out of a helicopter as part of a church event over a school oval. And what happened was uh, essentially a reenactment of The Lord of the Flies. I don't know if you know that book. but. <laughs> It was sheer anarchy and people captured it on their iPhones and they were tweeting about it. it was all over social media. But it was atrocious. Basically, as soon as those chocolate eggs started falling out of the sky, adults started sprinting across the oval and three-year-olds were getting bowled over and trampled and um, they, they were just grabbing handfuls of Easter eggs like their lives depended on it. And uh, there were grown men punching each other o over, yeah. over chocolate eggs. <laughs> and it's, it's not funny, it's not funny. But I did have to laugh at, at how farcical and, and how atrocious it was. And I kind of look at that in the context of what I read and what I see as this kind of growing uh, discourse and dialogue that somehow um, in Western civilization or so-called Western civilization, there's this sense that Christian values are under attack and, and we're losing Easter and, we're, and all this thing is sort of going on. And there's this increasing discourse that uh, populism and political correctness are, are sort of eroding Christianity and eroding Christian values. And so the proposed response to that is either we fight, you know, we stand up and take back the ground that we're losing apparently as Christians or we just surrender. They're kind of the two options that are presented. Um, we either kind of rail against pluralism and diversity and inclusion and popular culture or we just kind of give up and watch the decline. And so what often happens is that we rail. We rail against things like halal food and we rail against things like marriage equality and we rail against removing apparently the word Easter from hat parades and removing the word Easter from chocolate eggs. 
which after watching that footage yesterday, uh, I think that there's probably a good case for removing the word Easter from chocolate eggs. But um, we rail against people's right to practice their religion, but not all and probably not any of the people in this room, but we then defer authority. We defer authority and abdicate responsibility when it comes to the rights of people fleeing torture and trauma, for example. And so it would seem to me that broadly speaking, our priorities are skewed. But it would also seem to me that, that this is not the behavior of a persecuted minority. And so when people who hold power are feeling persecuted, when people who hold power and privilege are feeling oppressed, it, it's actually just because their position of privilege is being challenged. They're not used to not being dominant. And so when some ground is sort of taken from them, it starts to feel like persecution. But we know, looking at it, that it's not genuine persecution. Genuine persecution is what we saw this week <laughs> with the horrific bombing of a Coptic church in Egypt. Genuine persecution is imprisonment and torture. Genuine persecution is when people risk their lives to practice their faith or their religion. But what we experience here in this country, pluralism or multiculturalism, I don't think is persecution. It just can feel like that to those who are part of the dominant culture. And so I don't believe, and we'll talk about this in the conversation time, I'm more than happy for you to disagree with me, but I don't believe that the decline of Christianity in the West is some kind of grand conspiracy. I think if there is a decline, it's actually of our own making. Uh, consumerism and greed and crazy divisive political ideologies and apathy and privilege have in many ways replaced the central message of Jesus, have replaced the central message of Christ. And so we've increasingly uh, equated Christianity with having a comfortable life. We've equated Christianity with a life of prosperity that's very insular and protected and kind of exclusive of them, whoever them or they are. You, you know, we, it's become a life of sprinting across an oval for chocolate eggs that are falling out of the sky. This is kind of what we see now. But I look at that and I have to think that surely Surely that's not the message of Jesus. Surely that's not the message of Easter. And often I've heard the message of Easter distilled to something along the lines of uh, humans are sinners, humans deserve death, they deserve death at the hands of a wrathful God. So Jesus died as a sacrifice, Jesus was punished in our place, and then three days later he rose again so that we can go to heaven when we die. We, we kind of distill it to that. And when I hear that, that same question raises its head, have we got it all wrong? Because I don't read that account. I don't read that account in the Gospels. I can kind of extrapolate it, if I want to get all theological, from, from the writings of uh, those, the writings that are attributed to Paul or the writings of Hebrews, but, but Jesus is the author of our faith. And not Paul, and so I have to read Paul and I have to read Hebrews in the light of the Gospels. And so in the Easter story, I don't find sinners in the hands of an angry God. Instead, I find God in the hands of angry sinners. And I find the greatest act of violence enacted upon the embodiment of God on earth. And 
in this act of murder, the murder of the author of creation, I, I don't see any evidence of a God who seeks to pour out his wrath on humanity. I only see evidence of a God who is merciful and a God who is forgiving and a God who is loving. What we see is a God who is murdered by the religious elite and the privileged and the powerful. He's murdered by uh, the ruling earthly authorities. He's cursed uh, by his death on a tree and he's essentially completely stripped of any of his identity. But where is the angry, wrathful God in the Easter story? Jesus sweats blood and Jesus tells his followers to put away their swords and he is beaten and he is tortured and he is interrogated and he is falsely accused and tried and murdered on a cross. And so what we see is that Jesus shares our pain and Jesus shares our brokenness and Jesus shares our greatest fears and Jesus shares our death. We see God with us and God for us and God amidst us. And then in his last breath, he cries out, it is finished. As if to draw a line in the sand, as if to draw a line on, on the violence and the abuse and the torture and the injustice. But I don't read then that it stops there, because if it stops there, then what we see is another historical incident. We see the act of another failed revolutionary. We see another good, well-meaning person who railed against the institutions and who uh, stood up against the ideologies of the time, but then lost, essentially. But the story continues. And so Jesus faces death and darkness head on. He experiences separation and abandonment. He faces uh, the murderous heart of earthly authorities. He faces spiritual darkness. And he essentially understands more than anyone that in dying, we are born to life. And here, I see the greatest revolution of them all, which is resurrection. The dead, now alive. The, the broken, now whole. The, the lost, now found. Which is where our name comes from. And what this ushers in is the kingdom of God. What this ushers in is heaven on earth. This ushers in an upside down world and I think that we miss the point if we think that Easter is, is just about going to heaven when we die. I think we can miss the point if we think that Easter is about escaping the, this earth rather than realising that it's about bringing heaven to earth. It's about uh, turning the powers and the systems of the world on their head. Because what this ushers in, in an upside down world, is what we see is that we reject violence and wars and we make peace. In, in an upside-down world, we reject arrogance and we reject pride and we walk with humility. In uh, an upside-down world, we reject a God of violence and instead we experience a God of love and we reject judgment and we reject wrath and instead we show mercy. We, we choose communion over consumption. We, we choose people over profit. We choose relationships over rules and ultimately, as a body, we should be giving voice and power to the voiceless and the powerless. And so, as we share meals together, as we share food uh, around a table, uh, as we share conversations, then I think increasingly we share 
the journeys and the stories of our lives. And we share journeys of moving from brokenness to healing and we share journeys of uncertainty and doubt and we share journeys uh, of safety and freedom and we share journeys from death to life. And we also find that we need to make room. We need to make room for uh, other people at the table. We need to make room for people who are different to us, who have different experiences and different journeys and different types of brokenness. We need to make room for the hungry and the poor and for our neighbours and for our enemies. And so for me, this, this is resurrection. This, this is the topsy-turvy world that Easter ushers in. What I read is that we crucified God but God in turn, in response, raises us to life. And so this, for me, is the upside down world of the kingdom of God. And so as people of doubt and faith and uncertainty and certainty, we then have an opportunity, we have an opportunity to play our part, to not only just experience this world, to experience heaven on earth, uh, but to begin to open this world to other people, to to practice humility, to practice peacemaking, to, to offer mercy, to offer forgiveness, and ultimately to both receive but also offer love. And so my hope and prayer uh, over this Easter period is uh, may this upside down world invade our lives. May it become more and more of our reality. May it be so. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that Easter challenges worldly authority. I thank you that Easter heralds heaven on earth. And the cry of my heart, Lord, is may the violence, may the war, may the trauma, may the grief, may the injustices that seem all too prevalent and all too obvious in and around our lives, Lord, may they increasingly be replaced. May they increasingly be removed. May they increasingly be uh, torn down by mercy and by peace and by justice and by mystery and by joy and by your love. Amen.